All right, well, welcome. Thank y'all for being here on Wednesday night. Uh, excited about the time to be with you and to, to look into, into to, to God's Word. And uh, we've had opportunity this summer to be to be gone a, a good bit. Thank you for the sabbatical that you've provided to, to me and my family. We got to go to upstate New York and a lot of places along the way. That was a, a treat. Uh, prior to that, we had just a normal vacation week. Uh, we went to Washington, D.C., and uh, we uh, spent the whole week there seeing everything that you would see in, in Washington, D.C. And one of the places we went to was the International Spy Museum. Uh, and, yeah, you've been there. Okay. Well, this, they had just moved to a new location. And so everything was, was brand new at this place. And uh, they would give you a little badge as if you were going into the CIA. And then you had to assume... A, a cover. You had to assume a, a, an identity as if you were a spy, and uh, and so I became a, a, a scholar and was traveling internationally. Uh, Jennifer, who is the real scholar, would you? What, what were you? What were you? I think celebrities and. Oh. So we, you tried to, tried to had to get through it without having your cover blown. Uh, it turns out that there was another John Walker in the museum, uh, and uh, this is somebody that that I knew, uh, and it was familiar to to me. Uh, but it, my family didn't know this John Walker. He was actually part of the museum. He was the exhibit. Uh, there was a John Walker who was a naval communications officer from the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and for 17 years, he was a Soviet spy. Uh, he helped the Soviets uh, decode over a million naval messages, and it, uh, you know, different scholars argue about how significant and influential it was. Uh, it seems like they were able to read a whole lot of what our policies were, or our plans were uh, in, in Vietnam uh, and, and the engagement there. And so this guy ended up being uh, ratted out by his wife. Uh, he, they were, if you, you're cheating on your country, you, you, you might also be cheating on other things. Uh, and, too. and so uh, uh, she, she, uh, she exacted her uh, revenge. And, he, and so he ended up dying in jail. Uh, that John Walker had an image, which was one thing, a communications officer. But it was not consistent with who he was, which was a traitor to his country. And the main message that I want to uh, communicate tonight is that this idea of consistency between our image, our external image, and our heart is real important to God. It is real important to God. God has never been satisfied with our outward form. He's never been satisfied with our outward form. One of the famous passages out of the Minor Prophets, prophets in Amos chapter 5 uh, God declares through Amos that he hates, he despises their worship. Uh, their burnt offerings, their grain offerings, their songs of worship uh, were not pleasing to them. He rejects all those things because it was, becoming, it was coming from a group who were oppressing the righteous. And even though the, the outward form looked good, God did not want to receive worship from people who did not have the same heart or a right heart. The same is also true for Cain in Genesis chapter 4. Y'all remember Cain in, in Genesis chapter 4? 
uh, Judah 11, and this is my reference back to our summer theme. We're supposed to be preaching from uh, the, the forgotten books of the New Testament. So Jude, verse 11, I want to say Jude chapter 11. Jude chapter 11, Jude verse 11 refers to the, the way of Cain. And the way of Cain uh, was that he had a, a form of godliness, but not his power. Cain had a form of godliness, but not his power. And he too was found out through the, the act of worship. He brought a gift to the Lord, uh, which on the surface seemed just fine, but it was not consistent with his heart. And uh, he presented one way, when in actuality, he was another. So a person can have the form, the outward appearance of godliness, but deny its power. And so uh, that's kind of a question that I like to have on, on our minds as we talk tonight. Uh, how might good church people say a good Wednesday night church people, a Wednesday night in the summer after a good thunderstorm church people, how might we be susceptible to have an inconsistency in our, in our, between our heart and our actions? You know, we can often or at times be duplicitous with other people. We can often be duplicitous even with ourselves, but we can never be two-faced with God. Now, we might try, but that, it is impossible to be two-faced with God because he sees everything. Nothing obstructs his vision. So we might have an intention uh, or a, a hidden subconscious motive to be duplicitous, but it's impossible with God. I want us to look at a story in Acts 5 that really illustrates this point well. And so if you'll turn to Acts chapter 5, that's going to be our primary passage for tonight. I've made the Jude 11 reference. Now we're going to go to uh, Acts chapter 5. Uh, the story here occurs to us as very unusual and even harsh. Uh, this is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And it's found in Acts chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 11. So I want to, to direct your attention there. As Luke is writing Acts, he is um, describing all the things that are happening there in the life of the, uh, of the early church. Jesus is commissioned uh, to the disciples, his ascension up to heaven, uh, the disciples preaching, uh, the, the Jewish officials' harassment of the disciples, uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit, and uh, then the, the daily fellowship among the believers there uh, in, in Jerusalem. Uh, this, uh, this daily fellowship that's described includes sharing the financial burdens. And this is a little weird for us. But they shared the financial burdens within a community of believers. And uh, Acts 2 says that when there was a need, other believers would share, sell their possessions, sell houses, and then they would distribute those proceeds to people who had the needs. This is mentioned again in Acts 4 as a prelude to this Ananias and Sapphira story. But let's pick up in chapter 5, verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it sold... Was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. 
Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young man arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, Yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door. They will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young man came in and found her dead and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Wow, <laughs> that's pretty crazy stuff, right? My goodness. Uh, you, now you don't get the impression that this is happening in a uh, Sunday morning service. Uh, the, 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 the feel of this suggests that this is probably going on during the, the course of the week and it's in the church office, whatever, wherever that function would have taken place in, uh, in, in first century uh, Jerusalem. Uh, but could you imagine this happening today? I mean, could you, could you just try to, get, try to uh, transport that into today's time? Someone, somebody's, for all appearances, seems to be doing something godly. Uh, they're, they're given probably a bunch of money. They're looking generous. People are probably taking note of that. And all of a sudden, this person that everybody's thinking is godly is being called out for wrongdoing, and that wrongdoing is accounted for with their death. You imagine somebody just, bam. Uh, that, an attention getter. You could imagine how quickly that would have gotten around on uh, social media. Uh, uh, in the absence of uh, Twitter, uh, it obviously took longer than three hours for the word to get around because Sapphira didn't know uh, that her husband had died and uh, she was resolved in her sin and experienced the same, the same death. So let's ask the question, what, what's going on here? Uh, we know that the discipline was harsh, but are we absolutely certain uh, we know what the discipline is uh, for? Uh, what Paul does, or Peter uh, does clarify for us, it's not about uh, the money. It's, it's not about him actually keeping some back. What he, Peter makes it clear in verse 4 that it was their money, and they were free to spend it however they wanted to spend it. And so there wasn't an issue about selling a property for $10,000 or whatever it is and, and giving, giving the church eight and pocketing two. That, or vice versa, giving two and pocketing eight. Uh, that's, that's, not, that's not the issue here at all. Uh, it was their money to do with as they pleased. Now, the, thinking about this kind of uh, setting where you're sharing the financial burdens, you know, our, our Western uh, individual-based uh, society and our values, uh, this feels a little different for us. Uh, uh, the, the strong sense of community that's described here in, in, in Acts, um, it, it, it feels a, a little bit different for us, but it really shouldn't. It really shouldn't. The church, and, and specifically Beach Haven, we, we practice a good bit of what's described here in, in Acts chapter 2. Many, many of y'all give to a fund that we have here at the church called our Christian Concern Fund. And through a, a, a small committee that we have, those funds are dispersed to those that, 
that have needs. Uh, uh, meeting needs within the church family is not something that we really talk about, but we, we do. It's done discreetly, and we don't make a show of it for reasons what you would expect. It's much more easy for me to talk about Christian Concern Fund and how that's used uh, outside the church. I'll, I'll give you one example. Um, last week, uh, Steve Skelton was working with our Christian Concern uh, Fund, and, and he and I had opportunities to, uh, to meet with this lady. Uh, in February, her husband of 38 years has died from uh, throat cancer. Her uh, daughter is addicted to drugs, uh, methamphetamine, uh, I believe, not 100% sure, but one, one of those type of drugs. Her son-in-law is in jail, and she now finds herself uh, responsible for two elementary-age grandsons uh, that, that she, did, she did not expect. And so it's a really small thing, but she, she asked us to help pay for her power bill last month. And we were uh, more, more than happy and, and willing to do that. And so when you give to that, this, this Christian Concern Fund, you are making Acts 2 and Acts 4 a 21st century reality here in Athens. Uh, that, that, that goes on almost every week uh, here at the church. Again, it's underneath the radar. We don't talk about it, uh, but... That, that, that's happening. And so this, this really shouldn't strike us as, as too far uh, from uh, what should be done and, and what is done. But the issue for Ananias and the issue for Sapphira was not the money or how much they kept back. Uh, do you see what it is? you see what the issue is there? They lied to God right there in, in verse 3. They lied to the Holy Spirit. They lied to the Holy Spirit. Well, the lie on the surface was indeed about money. But I believe that that lie was really a symptom or a product of a more basic or more fundamental lie. Uh, and that, that basic falsehood uh, was that Ananias and Sapphira wanted to seem as more spiritual than they really were. They wanted people to look at them and think, man, those are some godly, godly people. Uh, they, they were generous. We can certainly give them credit for that. But there was deception in their hearts. Uh, they gave the appearance of one thing when in reality it was something different. Uh, you could say they gave, uh, uh, gave a zirconium ring went in and passed it off as a ring that was really a diamond ring. Uh, there was a, a funny, funny commercial several years ago, at least funny to me, uh, with a young bride coming into a, a kitchen and her husband was sitting at the kitchen table and uh, she said, I, I've discovered the truth about something. And he reacts. He, he's clearly feeling guilty. He's feeling embarrassed. And he just blurts out, Yes, the ring is zirconium. Uh, he had not told her that he bought a fake diamond ring, but he had uh, it passed it off. And she said, I was talking about something I discovered at work, uh, but he had already spilled his guts by that point. And she's like, well, this is good to know, though, uh, as well. And so there's nothing wrong with a zirconium ring, but if you're trying to pass it off as the real thing, then you might have some explaining to do later on, as, as that uh, husband obviously did. I think also what might be going on here for Ananias and Sapphira is that they might be uh, jealous of the regard and the esteem that Barnabas had received. If you look there in chapter 4, the last couple of verses of chapter 4, 
Uh, it tells the story there in verses 36 and 37 of this man named Joseph, uh, who's called Barnabas, which is the son of encouragement, sold a land and brought the offering and presented it to the apostles, laid it at the apostles' feet. Uh, you can read all through Acts and Barnabas' name comes up, and that man is lauded. Uh, he is praised. It is very clear that uh, the, the people thought very highly of Barnabas, and they knew that God's hand was on him. And so this has just been done. This has just been wit uh, witnessed by everybody just, just a few verses before where we started reading. And it sure appears that Ananias and Sapphira looked at that and said, hmm, well, I, I like the way people are talking about Barnabas. Wouldn't it be nice if they were uh, thinking and talking about us the same way? They wanted the form of godliness, but not at its price. They wanted to get holiness uh, on discount. They wanted to get holiness on discount. Um, you know, if I can help it, I'm buying things on discount. I, I'm hardly ever buying, buying anything uh, at full price. Uh, I love sales. I love resales. Uh, but there are things that you can't buy with a coupon. There's things you can't buy at a consignment store. Uh, and spiritual integrity is one of those things. It's, it's not for sale. And so even though Ananias and Sapphira were outwardly doing a good thing, they were manipulating perceptions to obscure truth. They were outwardly doing something really good, but they were manipulating perceptions to obscure the truth. And that's bad because it ends up revealing the conditions of our hearts. And God has always wanted continuity and wholeness between our heart and, and our actions. And so... Ananias wanted to project this certain uh, spirituality. They wanted to project this holiness, this devotion to God that was not consistent with reality. And in short, it was a lie. Sin was crouching at their door, and they ignored it and became their own victims. You know, being aware of our sin nature rather than our spiritual strengths protects us spiritually. You know, it was Paul in his old age, after he'd had this great distinguished career as a, uh, as a missionary and as a theologian, he doesn't enter himself, introduce himself, you've heard this before, he doesn't introduce himself in his old age as an apostle, but as chief among sinners. Uh, he's, he's, he's not identifying his spiritual strength, but his spiritual weakness. Uh, and so he's not casting this image of spiritual power. Paul's not, and if anybody could, it would be him. Uh, in Ananias and Sapphira's case, there's, there's no such thing as faking it until you make it. Uh, faking it until you make it is, is, is good in some places, but as a means to spiritual maturity, just doesn't work. Uh, it's trying to get holiness on discount, and that's not good. You, you, you ever had somebody try to lie to you, and you know that the lie is coming, uh, before, and, and you're saying, don't get started, don't go down this road, this is not going to end, end well. Uh, uh, they, they've just, it's not going to end well now because they, they didn't go. They, somehow Peter was sitting in that chair and he was looking at Ananias and then certainly then Sapphira is like, this is not going to end well. Because we, we try to manipulate the perceptions of people and sometimes we're successful and sometimes we're really good at it. 
but we can never manipulate the perception of God. He, he's not one to, to be manipulated. It's impossible. It's impossible. So I think about how, how we might be tempted or others might be tempted to make ourselves look more spiritual. How, how might we make, be tempted to make ourselves look more spiritual? Where, where might we shave the truth a little bit here? Uh, you know, perhaps it's uh, fudging on the amount of time we spend in prayer or in Bible study or the strength of a, a witnessing encounter. Uh, this passage would tell us to be careful, uh, be warned. I spent all day praying for that. I spent all day praying for that. When have I ever prayed all day? Uh, now, I had some thoughts occasionally. All right. Now, I'm going to count those thoughts as prayers. But I never really converted that thought into a prayer. I prayed all day. Hmm. I read my Bible this morning. I actually read a verse. Uh, but it sounds better to say I read my Bible. And technically, I read a Bible verse. It's reading the Bible. But I read my Bible today. I made some vague reference about church to a friend of mine. And when I get to telling it in Sunday school as a prayer request, I shared the gospel with this guy that I knew. Oh, okay. Well, that sound, sure makes me sound a lot more spiritual when I'm sharing the gospel with somebody that uh, I need to this week. Who do we think we're snookering? The only people that Ananias and Sapphira fooled was who? Themselves. Themselves. And all the only people we're fooling would be the same, same person, our, ourselves, ourselves. Now, to, 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 to emphasize this, this uh, issue of imagery and how important it is, there's some other examples and acts uh, about this. And while I was on that sabbatical, which was a mixture of reading and vacation and rest and, and travel, uh, acts was where I was reading. I, I print out a stack, I print out the whole book on a piece of paper and just read and make notes, read and make notes, and uh, all through it. But I'm looking at this issue here in Acts, and I see Peter and John in Acts chapter 3 walking through Jerusalem, and, and they heal somebody. And the people are, are amazed, they're astounded at the, this healing. And Peter's having to correct their perception. He's saying, why, why are you amazed at this? Oh, as if it was our power and our piety that made this man walk. And so people are starting to elevate them. They're starting to hold them in high regard. And he's like, no, 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 no. A Acts 14, uh, Paul and Barnabas are walking through um, Turkey. Um, Asia Minor, it wasn't called Asia Minor back then. It was called Lystra in Acts 14. Um, Paul heals somebody. Well, they, they say, well, here are, the, here are two Greek gods, Hermes and Zeus. And there's a little shrine to, or temple to Zeus in that area. And so the priest comes out and he's preparing a sacrifice to the gods who have come, to, come down and, and done this miracle. And, and Paul and Barnabas, they rip their, their clothes, they tear their clo clothes, and they strove, that's the, that's the word, they strove with the people trying to convince them that they were not gods. And then you got the example, a negative example, of Herod in Acts chapter 12. He comes into a place, uh, and there's some friction between him and the crowd. 
He, he tries to smooth things over. He comes in with all this pomp and this regalia. And the, he makes a few remarks. And the people says, oh, he's as if he's the God. He's as if he's a God. And he relishes it. He likes it. He loves it. And then the next verse is, he gets struck. And he dies. Uh, he didn't correct the perception uh, at, at all. He liked the idea of being perceived as spiritually uh, robust. Jesus says that whatever is on the inside is what defiles a person. God's not so much concerned about what's on the outside. Well, there's, a, there's another layer to this idea of consistency between heart and, and actions that helps us take a, a step even further in uh, fully understanding what God expects for us. And I won't spend as much time on it, but I think it's, uh, it's, it's important here. And it, there's some tension uh, when, in verse 4 for me, in, in Acts chapter 5, verse 4, where Peter says this. He says, uh, you have not lied to men, but to God. You've not lied to men, but to God. And, and the tension, there's no, there's no tension in what God is saying. The tension is my understanding or my lack of understanding. It would make a whole lot more sense to, if it said, you not only lied to us, you also lied to God. Uh, th th this puzzles me. Uh, and so I'm not sure how to, to clean it all up. I can recognize it and I can attest to it. And, and where I kind of ultimately end up is that sin... All sin is ultimately against God. It might involve somebody else, but it's ultimately against God. And we see this illustrated in Psalm 51. Uh, this is another place where you had the same idea is mentioned. You remember what's going on in Psalm 51? That's where David is bringing his confession of adultery and murder. He's had adultery with Bathsheba, and then he has sent her husband off to, to, to be murdered. And uh, y'all remember how he did the murder? Uh, presented it one way, but it looked another. Well, we just have him out there in a battle and just leave him out there to where he'll, you know, just, it just happens to look like he gets killed. Presented one way and it ends up uh, being another. Uh, well, after being confronted by Nathan, David repents. And in Psalm 51, he says, I acknowledge my transgressions. And my sin is always before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned of a prior sin.